0: Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. This week's podcast is sponsored by Clover and Bee. Clover and Bee wax wraps are an eco-friendly alternative to single-use plastics, made using organic food-grade materials and products with our own in-house designs. With just a little warmth from your hands, they will easily mould around fruits, vegetables, snacks and sandwiches, as well as bowls and dishes, and will keep your food fresh for longer. Lasting approximately a year, they are easily cleaned using cool water and a little dish soap. At the end of their use, they can be re-waxed, composted, roused in strips as a chemical-free fire starter for log burners and barbecues. I've been extremely lucky to be able to use the Clover and Bee beeswax wraps, and my favourite thing is that I can chop up an onion, chop up an avocado, chop up a pepper, and I don't need to worry about food waste, and it's absolutely brilliant. I also... I also really hate using cling film um, and this has just been amazing so that I can keep things wrapped, keep things fresh, not have to worry about the environmental impact and also my fridge looks so pretty. So please head over to Clover and Bee Goods on Instagram and you'll be able to find them and all of their beautiful designs just in time for Christmas because this is an absolutely perfect gift. This week I'm joined by Belinda Rich. Belinda joins me for Hanukkah to speak about being Jewish and having an eating disorder and the impact that her Judaism has had on her eating disorder and also the impact that her eating disorder has had on her religious practice and the isolation that has caused her when celebrations such as Hanukkah are going on and her not being able to get involved. I really hope that you enjoy this episode and if you are
1: celebrating, happy Hanukkah! Is it I not... can
0: hear you loud and clear. Wonderful. I don't know why, but I thought that you were going to be American. <laughs> I
1: have no, no idea sorry, I'm <laughs>
0: <laughs> Um I've no idea why. I had that in my head. No idea.
1: Okay, well, I hope you um, a nice surprise.
0: absolutely a lovely surprise um yeah thank you so much for joining me um it's lovely that Zoe put us in contact that doesn't really make sense in my head either because obviously Zoe's in the UK so why on earth I thought that you're American I don't know um yeah I'm really excited to chat to you because I don't really know that much about Hanukkah is it Hanukkah Hanukkah
1: Mm. um so so it can be said like the English way is Hanukkah, like the yeah. way I would say it is with a H, like Hanukkah. So, yeah. so yeah, but I can't, yeah, but that's fine. I mean, it's really interesting because Hanukkah is a, you know, a bit of a different festival mm-hmm. um, and like people equate it to Christmas, but it's not like, it's sort of like not the Jewish equivalent of Christmas. Okay. So... Well. um and you've opened up a whole can of worms with just generally asking about Judaism and food uh-huh. because I think that's a whole other podcast.
0: Yeah, well, we can talk about that all today. If I've asked that question about what is Hanukkah, do you want to start mm-hmm.
1: there to to kind of explain what it is and,
0: yeah, what it means to you?
1: Yes, yeah, sure. So Hanukkah is basically um, a festival all about um, like a Jewish victory over the Greeks when um, the Greeks came to Israel and tried to make Jewish people assimilate become quite colonized and also mm. it came to a point where you know they wanted Jewish people to abolish their Jewish practices so there was this group of people and um, this small group of people called the Maccabees who rebelled against the Greeks and um, to a point where like the Greeks had taken the Jewish temple Um, the Maccabees managed to get the temple back and where the actual Hanukkah originates from is there was also like one when they went into the temple there was one pot of oil left there's a candelabra called the menorah that was always lit in temple times and there was only just enough oil to burn for one day and in reality it burnt for eight days which is why there's eight days of Hanukkah, and it's uh-huh. also, yeah, and there's also you know Jewish people always have traditions around food, so traditionally foods on Hanukkah are like oily foods, so donuts are a big one, and also um this type of potato pancake thing that's fried in oil mm-hmm. called the latke. so that's also another traditional food to have over this time. Mm-hmm. yeah and
0: would you say that was really interesting thank you for kind of giving the history behind it i think that's really nice to for people that maybe don't have an awareness to understand um would you say a lot of the celebration is focused around
1: food so there is a reasonable amount and i think if you're sort of looking at different like age groups in. Primary school, you know, people, you know, donuts are given out. They might get like little gifts of chocolate money. If you're in a Jewish primary school, in Jewish high schools, like again, donuts might get given out. Um, it might be that if you're in a non Jewish school with a Jewish, you know, with Jewish pupils in it, that outside organizations might also go in with um with donuts. So it is there's quite a big focus around it um and again you know as you're going through the ages like jewish students if they're members of a jewish society there's a lot of celebrations involved there where you know there might be parties and things like that and yeah it's just um it's like quite significant there is you know there are other parts to hanukkah mm-hmm. such as lighting you know Most homes have a menorah, so which, you know, has eight sort of sections for candles to light plus an extra candle, um, which is used to light all the other candles. So there's almost like a ceremony around that where, you know, you say some blessings, light the candelabra, you do um, one candle for the first first night and then you keep going along as you add days. So you don't do all eight at once. Um, and then there's also songs involved as well you know just all about different aspects of what we went through over Hanukkah yeah brilliant
0: and so you said it was eight days um mm. so the celebration does do kind of activities and stuff happen for the eight days or is it kind of you have your eight days but you I don't know I I'm, I'm try I I guess you said it's it's not like Christmas but as mm. um you know with Christmas we have the day off and we just do like activities for Christmas would that be the same thing for Hanukkah in terms of you would like take that time maybe off work or
1: something to just focus on the celebration so because Hanukkah isn't in the old testament so one of those like more biblical festivals we don't have the same sort of restrictions that we might do for other festivals, which, which might mean taking time off. So actually sort of carrying on living your life normally mm-hmm. in schools, they might have different things they might do. Um, you know, one of my kids schools, they have like a concert sometimes. Um, you know, there might be different parties that people do mm-hmm. Um, there might be community events, you know, if you live somewhere where there's a Jewish community, then there's often community events or events, you know, that are centered around the synagogue as well. Um, yeah. so it it does feel very much a community coming together to to celebrate this, and also you know, it's you know give gifts over Hanukkah as well. You know, it used to be that you got given um money. It's like the old traditional sort of mm-hmm. gift, but now that's I guess, commercialised almost into giving, you know, other gifts. You know, some people give different gifts each night of Hanukkah. and um, So people have different traditions as well around it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess that's lovely, isn't it? Like your family
0: or your community or whatever, you have your traditions mm-hmm. that you do um, to make it your own, which is really nice. And I guess mm-hmm. from from your perspective because you mentioned um before we did the podcast that you have you know lived experience of having an eating disorder Mm. how have you found navigating Hanukkah with an eating disorder
1: before so previously with Hanukkah I've just personally put a blank on it so I don't involve myself I never involved myself with the food like I wouldn't have the donuts um the lacquers, which are also like a symbolic food like I've never made them you know because it was fried um so I guess in a way I've isolated myself somewhat mm-hmm. you know from what could be a family activity and a family bonding experience And also doing some of the other activities, you know, that have been set up within the community as well. Um, So it's almost like I kept myself very isolated. Um, More recently, over the last couple of years where I've been working more towards recovery, and I guess more so even this year, it's I need to, and it's really interesting, I was thinking about this in advance of the podcast, and it really made me think, I need to think about what my values are. And my values Mm. really are, you know, I want to take part in family activities. I want to be present with my kids. I also, I don't want them to sort of have the same thoughts and feelings around food Mm. that I do. You know, it's, you know, they're all growing up. And if they see me sort of not take part, then that could really influence them. So like this Hanukkah, I've decided while I was preparing for this, I'm going to make the latkesh you know i know it's like a huge thing and you know i will you know at least have one do not to feel like i'm being part like if i have more like i'm going to really think it through to structure it in a way that works best for me um Mm. and how to do it but yeah like so that sort of thing i think you need to put thought into you know Mm -hmm. like really how you will experience hanukkah and what you how you want to experience Hanukkah
0: yeah yeah I mean I think um yeah that just makes me really sad that you haven't been able to engage in that before because of an eating disorder but I'm Mm. really happy to hear that you know this year you're you're going to try and do things differently um and like you say I think really just planning with that and thinking about you know what could potentially go wrong here and how will I kind of navigate that what support things do I have in place um I think will help you do that and then you've you kind of I think it's the same with all eating disorder behaviors Or whatever you do it once and it feels really Mm -hmm. uncomfortable but once you've done it you can show yourself oh I did that and I came out the other side it wasn't half as bad as my eating disorder told me Mm -hmm. and now I can do that again and something else that I was thinking of as well when you were um talking about you know, not me being able to kind of get involved in things is that feels such a shame for from the way that you were describing it. It seems like a festival like celebration that is really driven on people coming together in community mm. and with family and stuff and so for you to feel that you need to isolate yourself in order you know for the eating disorder to be satisfied, yeah, it feels really kind of. Sad that you have had to isolate yourself away from something that should be you kind of having a lovely time with the people that you love,
1: yeah, and I think it's sort of really stood out for me more recently, you know, and maybe not just for Hanukkah, but for other festivals that I could be so much more present, you know, mm-hmm. and um it, that's one big change that you know I do want to make, you know, like be more. It's like you say, if you do something once, it's hard, but then the more you do it, it makes it easier. And, you know, I want to be relaxed with it. I don't want to hold such tension and have these eating disorder thoughts just cycling through my mind, you know, as I'm, you know, participating in these different things. You know, Mm. I don't, I would be able to have a donut and not be so mad at myself afterwards that, you know, that really when we are having that family time afterwards, That I'm just not there, you know, I want to be part and parcel of everything.
0: Yeah. And I think you've highlighted a really good point there, because I think sometimes people can think, oh, you know, I want to recover from my eating disorder so I can eat the donut or I want to Mm. do it so that I can eat the potatoes sort of thing. But it's it's not it's not the food that you're recovering for. It's like you say, it's to be able to have that moment with your family or when you're you know, playing games or doing an activity after you've had that food rather than you sitting and ruminating over, oh my God, what's going to happen? Like I feel so guilty, all of this. You're just in mm-hmm. the moment with the people that you love. And I think that for me, when I think about the impact that my eating disorder has had, that's the biggest thing is it just takes you away from being in the moment, um, which I think is... It's such a special thing to have
1: when you're with the people that you love. Definitely. And I think you know, I had so a big relapse when um, it would be around eight and a half years ago. And mm-hmm. ever since then, I've kind of been at different points and trying to recover. But really only over the last couple of years, been really actively working on it. And I think of all those years, I mean, all my childhood years, were very much taken up into an eating by an eating disorder until I was about twenty, and then you know so I've a lot of my my children's years have been taken up with me having an eating disorder really as well. So it is. It's very you know you do realize how much you've missed out of mm-hmm. life by not by having this eating disorder.
0: But it's. I think it does take time to realize that like when you're swept up in the eating disorder I don't think that you can you know this is I'm speaking from my personal experience like I didn't I never really had the capacity to see what I was missing out on or to think Mm. what I'm missing out on is better than being in the eating disorder and then as soon as you start to see like little glimmers of what life could be without an eating disorder I think that's when you then start to realise, oh, I'm missing out on all of this. And, and actually, you know, being present with my family or being able to do things that my eating disorder doesn't allow me to do. That's actually so much
1: better. But it's just the eating disorder is is what I know. And that's where I feel comfortable. Mm. Yeah. And I guess also the eating disorder is what I keep going back to. So, mm. at, So I might have, you know, times where I'm doing better with it. But then it's so sneaky, it just gets back in there again. So, mm. I, you know, I mean, you'll know like it can be OK one moment, but, you know, a bit later on in the day, it's just there. And it's the unpredictability mm. also of knowing what I will be in, in in that moment and around family and making plans to do things. Because will it be OK or will it be completely overwhelming? Mm. Yeah.
0: And I think with that, it's it, that's why it's so important, isn't it, to develop those strong kind of coping mechanisms and having action plans in place for when you do things, which I think is, mm-hmm. is really great for times like Hanukkah or other celebrations in terms of having somebody that you trust and mm-hmm. you can put a plan together of sort of things. And I think because when I think about the early stages of my recovery, my plan was like, you know, I want This safe food, and we've got to eat at this time, and this, that, and the other. And at the time, that felt right. But looking back now, I'm like, well, the the kind of festive period could be used as because you are with people that can support you. You could use it as a Mm. bit of a challenge. You know, you don't want to overwhelm yourself because you still want to enjoy yourself. But like you're doing, you know, having the donut and seeing how that goes, but having those coping mechanisms in place, like strongly rooted, so that. When you do, if you have a lapse or whatever, you don't feel Mm. pulled back into the eating disorder. You're like, oh, no, I can handle this and I'll move forward.
1: Yeah. And this year I've been very much like speaking to my husband about things and talking it through. Mm. So I'm going to speak to him and he'll, he'll be like my support person. And, you know, it's making him aware, you know, in advance, you know, this is what I'm thinking of doing. This is what Mm. I think I might need for you from you. And also, you know, say I have had a donut and I'm taking part in activities, but later on, I just might need time to myself to have some self, do some self-care activities just for me to remove, you know, remove myself from Mm. any thoughts, subsequent thoughts. Um, And he will also be able to help me along with it because he knows what my values are. So And because you've communicated um,
0: beforehand, you know, I'm going to do this thing and I may need some time to Mm -hmm. myself. And I think that's another thing is the, the key of communication. You know, you can't expect that people are going to know how you feel because, you know, sometimes you might do something and it feels you may have expected for it to be fine and then it feels so overwhelming and awful and horrific mm. but then other times you might think this is going to be the worst thing in the world and actually it goes fine so I think having that open communication with your loved ones and not assuming that they'll just know what you need or what's going on for you things like that I think that one I think it breaks the barrier down a little bit of kind of you feeling like you don't need to isolate yourself so much but I think it also just it allows people to actually support you because they can hear what you need rather than you you know them having to guess and probably getting it wrong.
1: Yeah, and also maybe it's thinking it through beforehand and maybe think, mm-hmm. thinking about it and in conversations with other people or through some journaling, and then passing it on to them. So then yes, and then you have this support. It's so mm-hmm. important and opening yourself up to get support from somebody else i guess is gives the eating disorder one less hold mm. on you to some extent because you're making yeah. you're making your thoughts you know known to somebody else that mm. can be there yeah you know it's so funny so i'm
0: um in recovery myself and i would say so on holiday to indonesia in september and since coming back off that holiday it's been like like the first time i feel like i've actually engaged in recovery for this relapse and i started doing this thing where rather than just like having the thoughts in my head i'd say them out loud and it's such a good exercise because when you actually say it out loud like that's completely barbaric like that is so unbelievably irrational um and, and, like, saying it to somebody else and then being able to talk it through has really, really helped me to really think, okay, like, why is the eating disorder showing up right now? What does it need? Mm-hmm. What does it want? Is it, like, because most of the time, it, I think it is trying to protect you. It's just doing it in completely the wrong way. And actually, a lot of the time, you are in a safe situation, that the eating disorder just maybe thinks that it's not. Um, but I think that's another thing at this kind of time of year as well, to you know just say like I'm really worried about having a donut because I think I'm going to gain loads of weight Like, realistically if we break it down having one donut that's not going to happen but I think you can get so caught up in your head and spiralize that then you can't kind of grasp onto the moment and catch yourself before you go too far
1: exactly and then it just spirals down and is into Mm. everything else then as well and then I think sometimes seeing food Can be overwhelming. I know I find it, you know, if there's a big table of food, I find it really overwhelming. So it's also for me to have like an awareness of that. So I might go to an event and there is this table, but that's okay. You know, I know I'm overwhelmed in this situation. So, okay, well, I'll just take some of that and then move away. So it's not so much maybe in my eyesight because Mm -hmm. I know that just sends my anxiety spiraling
0: yeah that's a really good idea we used to have at my old work we used to have every other week um they'd do like a free buffet lunch um for the Mm. staff and for them it was like a really nice initiative of like everyone would have lunch together and what have you for me it was my worst nightmare because like there were so many people around the food and there was so much food and then I had to eat in front of a lot of people and things like that And so I did exactly what you were saying there, is I would kind of have a thought in my mind beforehand, okay, what do I need to make sure that I have on my plate right now? Because I think one thing when, and I don't know whether you're the same, but when I go to like buffet style things, I just kind of freak out and just get things that aren't probably very helpful for my recovery whereas I think if you think about it in your head of like what would a balance plate look for me for me right now um and how can I have that then it allows you to make better decisions because ultimately you know whilst you're in the stages of recovery you kind of do need to you know eat with purpose and make sure that you're doing the right thing but that's going to lead to a point where you know maybe next Hanukkah you don't even think oh like I'm gonna plan to have a donut this time you just walk in and there's the donut and you have it and you're happy but you kind of you have to put the work in
1: now to be able to then adjust to that in the future yeah definitely and you know what I have found is a buffet example is perfect I've mm. had to do work to be able to eat at buffets to feel okay um mm. um What am I going to go for? Um, Normally, I completely freeze buffets out. So I don't even think about going to get food. I've not maybe done that for, you know, 15 years or so, generally, before, I guess, last November when I was really working on it. And now, yes, it is okay for me to go to buffets um, and have something. I am restrictive in what I eat. I only eat kosher, so, you know, there are, you know, things that come you know play into that but Mm. yeah now I am okay to do it sometimes I need to remind myself sometimes I do slip back into that habit if there's you know if there's sensory overwhelm around it and there's lots Mm. of people you know I might go well I'm just not doing it but I have to mentally remind myself that for recovery I do need to do that
0: Yeah, definitely. I just wanted to pick up there. So you mentioned that you only eat kosher. So I guess just for people listening, if they don't know what that is, if you could just explain what that is. And then I'm interested as to whether that's kind of had an impact on your relationship with food at all. Like, and it's, it's completely different because that this is a religious practice but like I know when people have anything sort of they go vegetarian and then that's like a, oh I'm vegetarian but actually it's so that I don't have to eat certain foods
1: has there been an element of that
0: there for you or is it completely just like the religious aspect
1: oh well, 100% it's been there um so yeah um so I was brought up having you know only eating kosher meat um, and having kosher fish at home so meat um animals have got to have split hooves and chew the cud so you know beef is okay but pork isn't um fish you can't have shellfish it's got to have and scales um but then we had like things like vegetarian cheeses and other foods at home. And that was OK. You also keep meat and milk separate. Not everyone does this. Not everyone's practices this. Some people do less. Mm. Some people do more. Um, depending on how religious you are. What's um, the
0: reason for kind of the split hooves and like it has to have fins
1: and stuff? Is it like a religious context behind it? Yeah, it's it's sort of. Back in the sort of the Bible, the Old Testament, it's sort of been passed down since then. Um, Also, it's sort of, of, um, some of it's about the right organs from the animal, whether chicken or fish is kosher and at home. But I'd eat vegetarian out. My parents, you know, wouldn't eat meat out. Some people do. Um, When I was about 19 and deep in my eating disorder, you know, I decided to go completely kosher. So that meant that I would only have food that had been supervised um, by someone Jewish. Um, and so the ingredients were known, all those ingredients were kosher. Um, mm-hmm. I would There's a there's list out there which sort of tell you what foods are and aren't kosher at different levels. Um, so it could be that, could have, say, a dairy milk. That's fine. But a boost isn't okay because of how they've been made up um so then you're starting to go into food rules and what you can and can't have if i if i only eat kosher i can't eat out at a normal restaurant Mm. i can only eat in a kosher restaurant now in london there's more but in manchester there's maybe 10 to 15 so you're not looking at many places where you can eat I was at university at the time, so then it in Liverpool, and there was only one place to eat. So you're automatically limiting your options. So mm. going kosher really did that for me. Since more recently, though, um, over the last eight years, I've been vegetarian. So that then limits it even more, because it's not like you can go to a supermarket and just pick up something. It, it's got to be kosher, and in normal supermarkets. the the prepared food isn't kosher you can't have it so then it you're relying more on like food you make yourself so that's sort of almost safer and known but at the same time it's difficult because if you want something easy and you're struggling to meal prep or anything like that I find that really difficult I find it very overwhelming it's not like you can just go to a supermarket and just pick up something either and it's, yeah. you know, there are kosher shops, but, you know, kosher food is more expensive because there's lots of mm-hmm. supervision and checks that need to be done. And they don't, you know, always offer, you know, fresh food. Some places do, some pe- places don't. But again, mm-hmm. I find that hard eating disorder wise because I don't necessarily know how it's been prepared.
0: Mm-hmm. So do you think that? being kosher is for you personally more driven around like the eating disorders control and wanting to know or is it a religious thing if you're being honest with yourself
1: so now it's become more of a religious thing definitely Mm -hmm. I became more religious over time and then yes it's a religious thing I have eased things up so I will eat vegan at a vegetarian restaurant so there's okay. been no meat there, um, but uh, I'll eat vegan there and mm-hmm. I feel comfortable doing it. And it's it's very related to the eating disorder, actually. So it gives me more options, you know, and it means that I can go out somewhere where, you know, I do want to eat. You know, kosher restaurants are very much the either meaty or the milky. so having eating at a meat restaurant there's not very much choice it's like falafel with something Mm -hmm. eating at a milky restaurant generally is very pizza based so there's not you know okay there's other things that they have but there's not necessarily the same choice you can get if you're at a vegetarian restaurant Mm. so I'm improving my choice in that respect but obviously not everyone will do that
0: yeah I think that's a really good idea for when you go out to go to vegan places, um, because I think especially nowadays, like vegan places are becoming much more popular, particularly Manchester. Mm. I went remember going to Manchester and there was, there was loads of uh, vegan places that were all nice. So that's good that you can do that. I'm just wondering, like, in terms of your own experience, um with having an eating disorder what is the sort of awareness of eating disorders in the Jewish community
1: I think because the Jewish community is so diverse it can Mm. be different in different places because some people are more cultural and some people are more Mm. religious you know and I guess some of the some of the more religious people aren't necessarily as assimilated into sort of the wider general population and might just be much more within that community themselves. Mm. So I was actually speaking to different people about this and I think restrictive eating disorders are the more known eating disorders in the Jewish community. Also um there's a lot of education around like neurodivergence um now. So people are more aware of ARFID. Um but I think okay. other eating disorders, you know, like atypical anorexia where someone might be in a larger body or binge eating disorder, they're not really talked about as much, mm-hmm. but there's still a lot of shame you know, and privacy mm. around it. And it's not really talked about in much, like, r- with regards to men. It's, still, it's mm. always like that, you know, teenage girl type of disorder. Which isn't really that dissimilar
0: to the wider population on a whole in terms of, you know, knowing mostly about restrictive eating disorders and thinking that they occur in young
1: white females exactly um but there is more awareness growing there's more support Mm. that's being put in as well um so there are changes being made
0: which is amazing which
1: it would yeah it
0: is it is brilliant um and i think on a whole, like, society needs that, Um, not just, you know, the Jewish community. I I was just thinking then, in terms of, like, the cultural or the religious practice, Mm -hmm. do you think there are any, any elements of that that could potentially, you know, I know that eating disorders can be caused by a whole host of things, so it's hard to pin down, but is there anything that comes to your mind, you think, you know, that, like heavily influences somebody's body image or like that Mm. might have an impact on somebody's relationship with food
1: i think there's so much of judaism and jewish practices that could affect Mm. that really because you know if we go back just to looking at the basics of food where you've got what's kosher and not kosher but also different foods have different blessings that you can say over them so if you go to a Jewish nursery or Jewish primary school from a very young age, you learn those different blessings and you're sort of encouraged to say it. So you're you know, you're already starting to think a lot more about food. Um, if anyone keeps the Sabbath in any way, whether it's from a cultural context where, you know, there's certain meals, you know, you do a Friday night meal, which is almost mm-hmm. like um it's almost like a Sunday roast or, you know, if you're entertaining, it could be like a Christmas meal. Um, You know, you have lunch, you have a big lunch, you know, so you're starting to build in like certain meals into your week, which might be larger than normal, which can be social as well. So if you've got a restrictive eating disorder, you're going to find it hard mm. to take part in those meals. You know, cause the, the Sabbath meals, you know, you start off by, you know, doing a blessing over wine to sanctify, I guess, the specialist of the occasion. You say a blessing over bread. So or automatically there, if you won't eat bread, it's then causing issues with the eating disorder. It might be issues with the other people at the table as well. I and mean, not just that, the <clears> festivals are <throat> very caught up in food as well. So a lot of different festivals have traditional foods associated with them. And I guess the biggest festival where there can be an issue with eating disorders and is the one that I find most difficult is Passover, because you completely change the type of food that you eat. You um, you can't eat right. anything leavened, and a lot of people change their crockery. Um, you you know get new get fresh ingredients that are only completely supervised to make sure that it's not got any ingredients that might be leavened in it you know obviously people keep what does leaven mean sorry so sorry leaven means that it if it rises um so things like um oh. pulses you know beans you don't eat bread because that rises it it's all to do with um wow. when the Jewish people left Egypt um when they were leaving slavery um and they had to leave that quickly, that the bread didn't rise in the same way. Um, so if you've not got your safe Mm -hmm. foods, you know, and different, Mm -hmm. different cultures in Judaism, I you've got like his Middle Eastern Jews, you've got Sephardi Jews, Ethiopian Jews, so everyone will have their own custom. So like our custom is that you don't have beans and pulses, but for me being vegetarian, like what will I eat over Passover? You can't buy, you know, prepared proteins or anything like vegetarian proteins. So I made the decision, uh, like with my husband, that I would have pulses. Um, you know, I'd have lentils and things like that because in another tradition in Judaism, people can have it, so it's not like against the mm-hmm. rules per se. And I made the decision to do it. Mm-hmm. And.
0: Let's say, um, okay, I've got two questions in terms of like other people's responses. So let's say that you weren't in a position where you felt that you could engage and have the bread or the wine or maybe a different Mm. food that is um, part of the festivity. What would the response be to that?
1: So. Like, personally, I've not taken on having the bread properly yet. That's something I'll dip in and out of having. So, right, obviously my husband Mm -hmm. asked why initially, and I was just like, very much, I just don't want to eat it. You know, if you're in a situation where you're in a social, um, you're out in a social setting, then that could be very different and very hard to do. Um, And people will... Notice it, you know, and it is sort of like, you know, you might just say, Oh, I just don't, I'm just not eating bread at the moment. So you can maybe bring in diet culture into it as well. Like normally you would have it, but actually, I'm just not eating bread right now. But doesn't, I don't know, I
0: feel like that's so you think that somebody saying, I'm not eating bread at the moment because I don't know, I'm trying to lose weight or something would be okay, but to say, I'm not eating bread
1: at the moment because I've got an eating disorder, wouldn't be? Yeah, I think so. I think there's still, it's still hard. People are so much more open about being on diets um, or reducing carbs or something like that. So I've personally not gone to a friend and gone, listen, I can't, you know, I'm not eating X, Y and Z at the moment because of an eating disorder. I might say it's because I don't like the taste of them or things like that, um, but yeah, for me personally, only a few close friends at this point really know about it. Um, I've not sort of gone out necessarily to the wide, you know, my wider friendship group, and saying this is where I am right now. And is that because you're you're
0: just not in a position where you want to tell people, or is that because you're scared of the reception it's going to get?
1: No, I think I'll be okay with. I I think you worry about the judgments, the judgment from other people. Mm. I'm very okay in the fact that I've had an eating disorder for many years. I'm trying to recover from it. But yeah, it's that worry about what other people might say or think even though I mean and this is where you go you know what you said earlier about talking saying something out loud and whether that's logical or illogical you know these are my friends you know and the few people I've told haven't reacted negatively so then it's the words that you know the thoughts that I'm putting on it the spin that I'm putting on it you know Mm. isn't actually the reality potentially yeah
0: I don't know whether this is something that you um that maybe you've experienced but I I get that myself in that I'm you know worried what people will think about me but often it's not the people that you know my friends or my family that I'm worried about because I know that they're not going to judge me and they're going to be there to support Mm me it's like you know the random neighbor down the road that's going to go and tell the other neighbor so you know like that hearsay sort of like um gossiping sort of thing and I think because you don't necessarily know that they're going to say the exact truth or things like that I think particularly when you've got something as strong as like a Jewish community I'm Mm. I'm assuming here but I would imagine that information kind of you know travels quickly and people know each other and stuff like that and I think my fear would be that people are going to get going to hear the wrong information and they're going to make assumptions about me based on what they've heard yeah. without me being able to say you know this is what I'm struggling with right now and this is why and
1: and this is how I'm navigating it do you think that's similar for you yeah I think that sounds very familiar and also being mm. in the Jewish community you know if you are in a Jewish community it feels very much like a small village so mm. it is like you know news will go round. Um, I guess i'm putting starting to put myself out there as someone who is Jewish who has an eating disorder. It's not yet got within the Jewish community yet, but mm-hmm. you know it it just sound yeah, I mean, it really does sound familiar to me, and it's you know do I think that that I should necessarily feel like that then probably not I should probably you know I'm thinking now like you know I, that's something maybe I need to work on and be more confident in mm. like who I am myself and how I can speak for myself as well
0: mm. I think it's a really difficult um process to go through but I think from my perspective after doing this podcast for three years um for me now to speak about my own experience is it it's kind of like reading like you know looking at the back of my hand sort of thing it feels very familiar because I've done it so many times now Mm. um but I think I always you know I always remind myself of how difficult that was initially to share what I was going through because there is so much stigma and you know the stereotypes surrounding eating disorders, um, but the more that I've done it, I've realized that by me sharing my story, somebody else has listened and then thought, ah, oh, they, you know, had the courage or the vulnerability or whatever to put themselves out there and to say what was going on. You know, I don't need to be ashamed now of myself. And I think that your you know sharing your story of having an eating disorder and being Jewish I'm sure will help Mm. so many people because they may listen and think oh like I'm Jewish and I didn't know if I was able to talk about that or you know I thought that it was just me that was affected by the practices and I can imagine when it's something like religion you can feel like it shouldn't be affecting me because this is so important to me um But, you know, you can't control what you're eating disorders. So I can imagine a lot of people will, you know, really value that you are speaking up and showing that there is nothing to be ashamed of.
1: Oh, thank you for that. Um, Yeah. And I guess one of the things like my masters that I'm doing is I'm looking Mm. at, you know, what people like more more orthodox women who have anorexia and their experiences around Jewish life and family life. And I guess it is something that I'm passionate about, you know, I'm learning, you know, I do want to, and I do want to share my story as well. And I do want to maybe educate people, you know, with all of Mm. this. So, so yeah. And I think, you know, even just being on this podcast, I've done a couple of panels. They're all starting to like, put me in a position where, you know, just repeating my story and, you know, will give me the confidence to do it in the community that I'm in.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, brilliant. And you just mentioned there about um, anorexia um, in women that are Orthodox Jews. What's sort of come up there for you that you found? Is there like a theme or kind of
1: causes for why Mm -hmm. that's common? No, so in some more religious sections of the community, um, there is arranged dating and it can be, you know, and it's having a third person who knows the values of both the man and the woman who like almost like provides an introduction and Mm -hmm. it can be, you know, as you become, as you go more into the religious parts of the community it can be that the families might ask questions on you know what is the body type you know if people are looking at you know a right. picture of them, well what's the body type, almost like what's the mother's body type, so I know what that person might body type might be, you know, and there is research also about people and the more religious side um you know developing an eating disorder almost not to go be in that position where they are you know navigating potential um potential matches to get married so it yeah it it can play in different things also ocd you know around ocd rituals um it can also play there um neurodiversity as well um so the, i mean again it's almost like you know there's a lot similar to the general population. But then there's, Mm -hmm. you know, some religious slants on it, you know. And I guess Mm -hmm. also, you know, if thinking about different types of people, um, girls have a bat mitzvah when they are 12, boys have a bar mitzvah at 13. It's almost like the Jewish coming of age. And there can be parties around that. Um, And it could be if you're, you know, if you're in a Jewish community, have friends the same age as you, you're going for, you're having parties constantly throughout for two years almost you know where Mm. you might dress up in a particular way and so you might want your body to look a certain way except for those celebrations so Mm. it comes into so many different places really Mm. and that's a lot of pressure isn't it at a young age Mm -hmm.
0: um to you know to be kind of putting yourself in different outfits and having that quite at the forefront and just in terms of like body image and stuff would you say that there's like a ideal body type within the Jewish community is it pretty similar to like
1: Western society or is it a bit different? No I think it's similar to um, like the general population um, but there has been, you know, some research done on the like Jewish superwoman, you know, as to, you know, they get married, they can have children, you know, have children, um, have a job, be able to juggle everything, but also bounce back after birth and maintain a figure. So mm. I mean, you can get that at whichever point in the Jewish in the Jewish community you are, but definitely there's also, you know, thoughts on that on the more religious side. Um how quickly someone you know people can have multiple children. It's not uncommon for people in the more religious side of the community to have greater than four children um you know mm-hmm. some people do or don't believe in birth control, so you know if you're expecting someone to bounce back after you know multiple births, that's not so easy, and the pressure could you know form an eating disorder.
0: Absolutely. I think, um, I mean, I don't think that the like bouncing back after pregnancy is unique to um, Judaism, because I think that that's Mm -hmm. very much in society. But like you say, I think that puts so much pressure. And, you know, I've had experiences where people have been so detached from their babies, because they're like, no, all I've got to focus on right now is losing this weight. And they then lose that connection with their baby, because they're so focused on the weight loss. So they can't, you know, think about developing that relationship, which I think is is really sad because that should be a time, you know, you only get that once with that with that particular child. Um mm. so that's quite sad, you know, I guess it just goes back to again what we were saying about at the start in terms of with an eating disorder, the things that you do miss out on because your mm. your values are focused on body image and food and, and things like that, rather than the people that are around you and the people that you love.
1: Yeah, and for me actually, um I had my big relapse when my I have two sets of twins, but when my youngest set of twins two twins were five wow. to, Yeah, I know. So it life is just a constant state oh, of Jesus. overwork. <laughs> I know, they're gorgeous. Um Oh I'm sure they are, yeah. But my relapse, my big relapse was when my little two were five to six months old when they were getting busier and I was struggling to cope more and, you know, wanting when I went back to work to look in a certain way. Mm. So that, you know, that was my, that's was my relapse, basically.
0: Mm. Yeah. And, I mean, that is a completely different topic, but I think um, more awareness needs to be... Provided for eating disorders around pregnancy and childbirth, and you know, the postnatal period and things. Because I think I've spoken to a lot of people that have had very similar
1: uh, mm. instances,
0: and you know, your body completely changes, and then all of a sudden, you've got well, in your case, you have two more children that you need to look after, uh, or you know, like your life, it's it is completely changed and there isn't maybe all that time for the self-care that you used to have and things and I think it could an eating disorder could easily slip in and kind of rear its ugly head um when things are feeling a bit more chaotic
1: definitely yeah
0: yeah, yeah. well it has been I honestly have learned so much that is just <laughs> incredible like about you know your experience of an eating disorder but also just about the jewish community and you know the the importance of it and everything like that so thank you so much for sharing all of that with me um i just wanted to ask if anybody's listening and you know they've listened because they're struggling with an eating disorder or their loved one is struggling do you know of any resources um for somebody that is jewish and struggling with an eating disorder for them to be directed to
1: yeah, I mean I think first off beats are very helpful, aren't they, in how to tell somebody mm-hmm. else. Um if they're at school, there might be, you know, a teacher um mm-hmm. that might be someone they can talk to. That are we're very lucky in the Jewish community. There are lots of charities for all sorts mm-hmm. of different things um there for us, but there are mental health charities. Um, there are helplines, there's texting services um you know for people across all parts of the spectrum. So it is possible to get in touch with them mm. and, you know, and for support. You know, the certain there are mentoring organizations as well. Um, so it's very much worth looking look looking into that if mm. it's at all possible. Um, and I think it's very much, you know, obviously we are a community. They might be part of a, you know, if they're younger, they might be part of a youth organization. And, you know, in a lot of cases, the leaders there have had training, you know, with various mental health issues. Um it could be that someone is close to a, a rabbi or, mm. um, or somebody else in the community that they can speak to who mm. can also then, like especially a rabbi, be able to signpost them to different places as well. Um, so those are the main things that I can really think of. Um, yeah as a community organization
0: yeah no that's brilliant I think from what you said there my takeaway is um, just you know find somebody that you trust and that you feel you can talk to Um, and it doesn't really matter who that is because I think you know two two heads is better than one and you can find Mm -hmm. the right support on from there but I think just to kind of have that initial discussion with somebody that um, can support you is really important. Um, Yes definitely
1: find that person. Yeah thank you
0: so much Um, it's been an absolute pleasure do we just say happy Hanukkah or is there like a specific thing that you would say?
1: No there's um, happy Hanukkah there's um, Hanukkah Sameach which is like to do with Hanukkah Joy Oh, there's Chag Sameach. So there's a few different ones, but uh, but yeah, Happy Hanukkah is perfect. Brilliant. Well, Happy Hanukkah. Um, thank you so much thank for you. joining me. It's been really lovely to meet you. And the same. Thank you so much for raising this. Um, you know, it's, I really appreciate it.
0: If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support, or talk to someone you trust.